Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast, Explosions and Fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And this week on the podcast, we are recognizing that Halloween is right around the corner, and we've been thinking a lot about horror, suspense, and how these themes can fit into our tabletop games. So the topic for today, how do you run a game that is thrilling and suspenseful and invoke a feeling of dread in your players? Oh boy. <laughs> I already have a feeling of dread now that we're talking about a feeling of dread. <laughs> so I have a question for you, Aaron. Because I'm the neophyte here, I am not a horror enthusiast, and I know that you are. Mm -hmm. But is it a jump scare we're going for, or is there something deeper happening here? I think there's something deeper. You can certainly do a jump scare in a role-playing game. It's a little more difficult. You have to talk really fast. You do, yeah, or just kind of shout at the players, maybe, randomly. A lot of putting a horror into a game is kind of a culmination of a lot of different things coming together to make it feel like a horror game. Okay, so it's the feeling that we're going for. Oh, yeah. So what are some tropes or tactics or things that you're thinking about here hmm. that, that we're going to try to put into the game? Yeah, so I've definitely run a lot of horror games, but I think the first thing that comes to mind is just no sense of rest for the players. And I don't mean literal rest. I mean, that could also mean that. But the idea is that they're kind of always on their back foot. There's always something that feels off, that gives them unease, that isn't super easy and then with that time tying into it is that they're always on edge so no sense of rest but also they're on edge so is something coming to hurt them are they doing the right thing like one of my favorite things about curse of strahd for example is that strahd will just come and attack everybody and then right when they're about to die he'll leave <laughs> which almost evokes the question of like why like why did he keep us alive <laughs> because he's bored honestly he's the most bored vampire i think in existence and he's just <laughs> kind of using it as like a, a plaything. beyond that you got to make it personal right so once they're players if you have their backstories or even just tying something in around them and kind of putting them on edge around that it helps a lot for sure okay so they're not just passively watching something terrible but they're actively participating in oh yeah they're, they're gonna feel a part of it because it feels like something's happening like if you watch a movie you're gonna have somebody getting a phone call or a note or something along those lines this is what you have in the game too interesting beyond that is always bringing the players into the horror right so yes we're keeping it or making it personal but then also we're wanting them to feel like they are somehow affected by and then possibly able to stop the horror at the same time mm, interesting and then question reality right is what you're seeing what's actually happening is it some sort of weird dream state you're in the game or is it really this terrifying yeah as you're going through these i'm thinking about a lot of movies that i've seen that sort of feature this mm -hmm, this, mm -hmm. this idea of fatigue like right. I'm thinking of the the heroine often in a movie, and she's been fighting the bad things for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. Probably hasn't slept in a while. Probably covered in blood, and doesn't have a chance to sleep. And just it just keeps happening to her. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I would say like maybe the last thing that you'd want to bring in there is gore, and not just regular gore because I think there's a lot of gore, especially in things like D and D, where you know if you roll to kill the monster, the DMs usually like tell me how you killed the monster, and you're like. I shot an arrow through its eye. And, and I ripped it its head off. 
but more subtle gore, more oppressive gore, right? Where it's just like, it doesn't make sense. It's something that would put you on edge in real life. Interesting. Well, I'm certain we're going to get into some specifics here. Indeed. Uh, But the next question I have for you is, are there examples in film or TV that inspire you or kind of can illustrate the point here? Yeah. I like in horror, anything that gives you an unsettling feeling that's building over time. So it's always a sense of unease and then it gets worse. A good example is The Exorcist, right? Starts off kind of strange. You don't know what's going on. Like, I remember, like, the first kind of unease scene in that movie is when Reagan come downstairs during a party and just pees on the floor. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and it's like, at that point, it could be just a mental illness. Yeah. Like, you're not sure. Something's off. But right. It's, like, awkward. And that's that's your first foray. It's like, what what is this? What are we watching? Where is it going to go from here? <laughs> Another one is, like, Night of the Living Dead, right? The original one. Where they're just hanging out in a graveyard. It's, you know, very, like, they're all going to get you, Barbara. Like, whatever. All this stuff that slowly builds and builds until everybody's barricaded inside of a house. And now all the brakes are coming off where the hands are reaching through the barricaded windows. And they have everybody attacked. And then they run into the basement. And they're hiding in the basement, you know. An interesting thought occurs to me here. <clears throat> in both of those examples, and probably in a lot more there's that moment where it could be real or not or mm-hmm. imagined. And I, I'm thinking about in a typical D&D game, there's often a sense of whimsy and sort of silliness. Mm-hmm. And I can see how you could almost like play into that as a DM. It's like, of course, your players are making jokes and, you know, whatever they're doing. And it it's slowly gets worse and worse <laughs> until at a certain point they're going to get this feeling of like, oh, no, this <laughs> yes. is terrible. <laughs> I would say in that same vein, like that a lot of the jokes, at least from me as a DM, start to dry up throughout the game. So it, I'm making it less, you know, distracting and you're focusing more on the horror that you're seeing. Another good example, I think, is Midnight Mass, which is a really interesting anthology, super long, super worth the watch, a lot of philosophical connotations to it. But again, starts off small, small, weird unsettling stuff happens until it becomes, you know, balls to the wall sort of craziness by the very end. Interesting. What about you? Do you have something that you can think of? There's a couple of things that I find incredibly unsettling. Hmm. One of them is just this, this fear of body horror and like dismemberment. Mm -hmm. So to me, if I'm watching a movie and you know, somebody gets killed quickly, it's like, Oh, that sucks but they're dead now. Right. But like saw Mm. and this idea of mutilation, like self mutilation seven, Mm -hmm. one of the deadly sins, the, the, the victim is asked to cut a pound of flesh off of themselves. Yes. Here's a knife. Here's a scale. That's terrifying to me to have to make that Mm -hmm. decision. And, you know, like sawing off body parts, all that kind (laughs) of stuff, like really freaks me out. And then the other thing that that really I find disturbing about the genre is the contemplation of evil. Mm. So I understand bad people behaving badly, right? Like hurt people hurt people. So Mm -hmm. this guy, you know, he was in and out of the foster care system and he robbed a bank and he shot somebody, you know, like I, I sort of get, he just wanted his money and he was troubled. But the contemplation of actual pure evil is really, really hard for me and so uncomfortable that I don't really want to go there. Mm-hmm. Like this is me with my hand over the stop button, like halfway through the movie. 
when it's like satanic or demonic or things like that, I'm just like, Ooh. <laughs> and it's hard for me too. And maybe you can help me understand a little bit better. What's the actual value or virtue of, of me going there? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, I think that's my challenge and why I don't count myself as a fan of horror. Yeah. Because I find it wholly uncomfortable yeah. to be in that place. And I'm not sure what I'm supposed to derive from it. Perhaps I'm just doing it wrong. No, I mean, I don't think there's a way of doing it wrong, but I think horror is catharsis. It's understanding that the world and life uh, is chaotic and that we separate ourselves very well from a lot of the chaos of what actually exists on Earth and don't ever want to think about it. But horror allows us that sort of trip into our own psyche to be able to process things that we hide from ourselves. Interesting. Okay. What about making it personal, Brian? Yeah, I remember we talked about this, about a movie for you that stuck out. Okay, so um, again, I don't count myself as a fan of horror, but I do love suspense thrillers. Mm-hmm. And to me, top of the genre is Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I love this movie is that it's not just about Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill, but it's about Clarice. That's right. It's about her journey into the darkness. Mm-hmm. Do you still hear them, Clarice? Exactly. The lambs. Yeah. Are they still screaming at night? (laughs) So creepy. But the thing that I think is really brilliant about this movie is, so there's a serial killer on the loose. So they send young Clarice to talk to Hannibal. And quickly, it becomes about Clarice. Tell me about the lambs. (laughs) So now you're, as the protagonist, your story is at the forefront. So there's two threads to pull here. It's Clarice's story and finding the serial killer. So that making it personal component is amazing because if they would have sent anyone else, it would have been a different story. Mm-hmm. And that relationship between Clarice and Hannibal is just so creepy yes, and full of possible outcomes and all these things. One of my favorite lines towards the end after Hannibal uh, escapes, spoiler alert, Clarice's friend says are you aren't you worried that he's gonna come get you and clearly says it's hard to explain but i think he would consider that rude (laughs) (laughs) and it just kind of speaks to this very bizarre friendship friendship camaraderie that the two of them have developed over time (laughs) yeah so i think that's a, a in my mind a really great way of considering it it a personal quest rather than just you know, kind of a blank character who's watching bad things happen. You could, they could have done the whole movie just an over the shoulder shot. Clarice is the proxy for the audience. We're just watching bad things happen. Right. But then, like, something will happen. It'll be a trigger for her, and we'll have a flashback to her father's funeral. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, ooh, that's, that's pretty thrilling. Yeah, I agree. I think Clarice is even written that way to be sort of a blank slate. So that you as the audience are inserted into that so that you feel that unease of having to use a serial killer to stop another serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think there's this additional payoff as well from a feminist perspective as well, that all the highly trained men can't figure it out. Right. And little Clarice that nobody really thought could do it, could do it. <laughs> and in there, I think you see maybe like an ideal D and D player arc. Mm-hmm. Nobody believed in the character. And the character was actually able to defeat the big baddie. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So let's get into some tactics here about okay. actually inserting these tropes and these ideas into a game. Mm-hmm. 
So again, like if we're thinking about adding surprises or, you know, those jump scares or things like that, like mechanically in the game, how does that look? Sure. So I would say I would normally use those at times when people are just getting comfortable with what they think is going to happen. For example, if you're doing long rests and I've given you a lot of them with no reason to be concerned, and then all of a sudden I'm going to give you a reason to be concerned. (laughs) Okay. Good night, everyone. (laughs) But you don't know that until I put that in there, right? So you have that happening. Or if you're going into a room that you're expecting to be a certain thing, it's actually something else. There's something else waiting in there for you. There's a sort of thing where you felt like this was going to go well for you, and it's not going to go well for you. Yeah, and subverting expectations, too. Very I much. like that. Yeah. Like, I can see maybe, like, going into a shop mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, this is about to be a possibly mundane interaction. Maybe something completely horrific is in, inside of that shop. Yes. Well, like, a good example of that was in Strahd. I actually had my own little homebrewed piece of armor that Strahd gave to the paladin. And the paladin greatly accepted for some reason. But it was it was cursed. I had a one-time curse, essentially, that at some point, Strahd could take control of the character and make them do things against their will. Ooh. But I never alluded to that ever happening. And months go by. And then we're in a pivotal moment, and now it gets turned on, and surprise. So did, did that character attack one of his pals? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Ooh. <laughs> And then let's say no sense of rest, right? How do you how do you feel that one? One is that there is no respite for the things that are occurring. There is no moment of, okay, well, we'll have a breather, right? A good example was in Strahd also, I had them trying, well, the players were trying to uh, employ the services of a blacksmith that didn't go well. And they sought refuge in this church that had been reconsecrated and they're resting, and then at 3 a.m. in the morning, there's a knock on the door of the church. And, of course, they're like, well, we're not going to answer that. And yeah, I don't know if anything good's knocking on the door at 3 a.m. No, not at all. And so they, of course, waited until the morning, and then they open the door, and there's the head of the blacksmith. Okay. But that's, again, no sense of rest. No, hey, we'll just lay down in the church. We're safe here. You're not safe. You're of the illusion of safety. Interesting. And I think there's been a lot of conversation that I've seen recently in running D&D about making it personal, Mm -hmm. but weaving the backstories and all those types of things, I think is a critical component here. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like a good way of keeping it personal is in my current homebrew campaign I'm running right now. One of the characters, they were boarded up inside of a tavern because things there get dark at noon. And there was this wailing coming from the street of some unknown entity coming towards the tavern. And this in the town had become kind of tradition for them. They knew this was happening. So that's when you board it up and we just wait for whatever this is to go away. And then whatever that noise was started shouting one of the characters' names. This, you know, Mm. very unearthly, monstrous voice is calling for one of them. And now there's a call to action. What do you do? I like that. And also it maybe puts a little bit of tension within the party as well. Mm -hmm. I've done this before where maybe an evil NPC seems to be a little bit too fond of one of the player characters. Right? (laughs) Like, do you guys know each other? (laughs) What is this? (laughs) And then from there, you get them to question reality. So a good tactic for that is to weave dreams into a story, have villains that can attack them in their dreams, but then also... When they wake up, 
It needs to feel again like a dream or a nightmare or almost break the bonds of your own reality. Right. Like, did I actually wake up or was I ever even asleep? Exactly. Like the Freddy Krueger vibes. <laughs> right. And I, I think that's what happens in a lot of horror movies where this idea of whether or not they're in reality is because the reality that they're in is so unfathomable that the question is, oh my God, like, is my mental stability slipping? Am I able to process what's going on around me? Yeah. There's a, a scene that I've seen several times in these types of movies where after the, the character first gets to sleep when they wake up, they're like, oh, I thought this was a dream. This is actually happening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shit. So I think with all those together, maybe we should try this with Tobin as just a, a, a quick little example of how this might look. Tom and Woodbridge, my favorite halfling ranger. Yes. He would be honored to take part in this. Perfect. So do you have Tommen's character sheet with you? I absolutely do. All right. So we're going to do some theater of the mind stuff. And I'm going to walk you through what is going on with Tommen right now. So Tommen was sneaking through the home of the local lord, Viscount Groff, looking for a magical artifact when a sleeping guard heard him trip over an unseen knot in the wooden floor. Knowing that his exit through the front door was blocked and all the shutters were closed, Tommen flew down the steps into the cellar, knowing that there would be a way out through the other side. As he quickly clattered down the stairs and heard footsteps hurriedly coming behind him, he thrust his way through the basement door and found himself inside of a square room with a closed door on the opposite side, and the distinct smell of offal within the pitch black room. What do you do? Is the door behind me closed? It is not closed yet. Slams that door. So as you close the door, you do notice that there are two hooks inset into the door, along with a piece of wood against the wall that would be used to barricade the door. Uses that. Okay. You put it into the door, and now there starts to become a loud banging against the door. Somebody's trying to get in and come get you. Probably the same guard that you heard before. Okay. So, Tommen wants to run to the opposite side and see if he can get through that door. Okay. So, what can Tommen see? Does Tommen have dark vision, I'm assuming? He is a halfling, so no. Okay. So, why don't you tell me what you do about the fact that you can't see anything in this pitch black room? Okay. So, before the door closed, I saw there was a door opposite, correct? Yes. And now I'm in the pitch black. Yes. Tom is going to get down on hands and knees and quickly shuffle across the floor to see if he can get to where he remembers the opposite door. Okay, why don't you give me an investigations roll? That is going to be a three. A three, all right. So you, you don't know quite where you're going. As you're putting your hands onto what feels like cobblestones in the room, they seem to start to pitch down a little bit towards the center of the room and your hands start getting sticky with some sort of substance when you come across a metal grate in the middle of the floor that has a lot of sticky substances around it. And this is contrary to what I saw with my eyes, correct? Oh, you just didn't see it to begin with. It was oh, okay. inset in the floor. I see. Okay, so I'm going to navigate around the grate and try to keep going towards the back, Okay. Uh, the, the further door. Why don't you give me another investigations roll? Let's see if you make it there in the darkness. Come on, Tom. The knocking behind you is getting louder and more aggressive. That is an 18 this time. An 18. You do find your way to the door, along with finding what appears to be some sort of table next to the door. 
and there is a sconce of some kind that is inset in the wall that holds a wooden torch. Okay. And it, it, am I able to find a doorknob on the door? There is not a doorknob. There's a door handle. Okay. And is it? It is locked. Okay. So have to pull the sconce, I guess. Okay. So you pull the sconce, and then do you have anything to light that with in your backpack? I do have a torch in a tinderbox. So I have a tinderbox. Yeah. Perfect. So you take your tinderbox out and light the torch. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give me one more investigations roll now that you can actually see inside the room? That's a two. All right. So you do notice that right next to you is a table. And on that table are a bunch of, I guess, medical implements. It's kind of hard to tell. There are a lot of different knives. They all seem a little be a little rusty. And then to the right of you, in the middle of the wall, it looks like there's some sort of face. Like almost like a statue of some kind. And as you peer a little bit closer, it looks just like Tommen's face. Like my face. It looks just like your face. But but a sculptural representation? Well, it's hard to tell without getting closer to it. Definitely have to investigate that, although the feeling of unease is growing exponentially. <laughs> but I think Tommen's going to just use maybe like his index finger and just reach out and try to touch the face, primarily to understand what it is made out of. Mm. And he's very much hoping for stone. Nice. And not any kind of fleshy <laughs> <laughs> so, so as you reach your hand out and touch the face that's on the wall, it is desiccated flesh. Blah. And it screams at you before turning into ash and falling to the floor. Let me ask as a point of clarification, the scream, was it what I would understand as my scream? Or no, some- it was some sort of weird guttural almost monstrous scream that you never would have heard before. Tommen would like to use a free action to do a full body shudder. <laughs> <laughs> and so the sconce has no effect seemingly on the door situation. Not on the door. It's still locked. But you do hear behind you the knocking has stopped. Okay. Well, Tommen is a halfling, so as he's considering running back and running headlong into the door, doesn't seem like that's going to have much of an effect. As you are deciding what to do, you hear a slight creak and groan from the door you tried to open as it slightly opens just a few inches. All right, Tommen's going to step back and ready in action with his longbow. Okay. If anything decides to come through that he doesn't like the looks of. As you stand there in the silence, all you hear is the sound of dripping through the grate in the floor and nothing else. No sound, no gusts of wind, no nothing. And nothing comes through the door? Nothing comes through the door. How much is the door open? It's only open a few inches, and it is clearly dark on the other side as well. This... this Makes sense in Tommen's mind, but he's going to try to fire an arrow through the <laughs> two-inch gap in the door. All right, roll to do that for Just me. Just to soften up whatever might yeah, be on why the not? inside. That is going to be a 27 to hit. 27. It does fly very gracefully through that little crack in the door. You do hear it hit what sounds like either a piece of wood or a wall. You're not really sure what it is, but it definitely hits something. Okay, but I didn't hear a... Uh, satisfying thud and something fall over. Sadly not. All right. Tommen's really not feeling this room at all, especially the dripping grate situation. (laughs) Before he does anything else, since he was crawling on his hands and knees, can he look at his hands to determine what 
that sticky substance may have been. As you turn your hands over, you notice that they are coated in a deep, dark crimson that is very hard to wipe off. All right, he, w- he would like to keep moving, so he's going to pull out his dagger okay. in his right hand and use his left hand to open the door. All right, as you open the door, you notice that right in front of you, about 10 feet away, is yet another door. Okay. And there are several armoires inside the room. It smells even worse in this room. Armoires. Interesting. All right, he's just going to go right to one of the armoires and see if it opens. Okay. You go to the first armoire, you open it. It is filled with more medical equipment, things in jars, things that shouldn't be floating but are floating. Not the sort of thing that you're happy with seeing. Okay. Slams that one. Goes to the next one. As you open that door, a large purple tongue lashes out and wraps around your body, pulling it into its gaping maw. (laughs) Am I able to, as this is happening, strike with my dagger? You may do that, yes. That is going to be an 18 to hit. 18, you do hit. Give me some damage. Damage on that is 8. 8. As you slice uh, through its tongue, it seems to fall off, and you land back clattering on the ground, dropping your dagger. As you do so, you do hear once again the knocking from the door that you came through in the first place. This time it's frenzied, angry, aggressive. And I still have a door opposite, correct? You do. Got to take the bait and keep on trying to get out of here. <laughs> As you go towards that door... Oh, picks up dagger, too. Picks up I dagger, very good. As you go towards that door... You attempt to open it. It is locked, but you do hear a noise of some kind, almost like a rustling of wind or even like a, a faint voice carried through the night air. And no visible way to open this door. This one does have a handle, but again is locked. Okay. As you are contemplating your decision on what you should do, the door that you came through slams shut. And you do hear... A locking noise. A whatting noise? A locking noise. Locking. Um, so do I now believe that something's in this room with me? Is that... Potentially. But you do know that the door closed, and you don't see anything else in there. I'm trying to figure out if it would be better if something was in here with me, or <laughs> not in here with me. The wind begins to pick up on the other door that you're trying to exit. The sound of wind through that door? Yes. Okay. At this point, Tom is going to just sort of assume a, kind of a neutral position, put his dagger towards his side, and just sort of look up and appeal. Guys, this was all just a misunderstanding. I was just on a walk and I got lost. <laughs> if I could just talk to like a supervisor, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we could work this out. If there's some sort of a fine I've incurred, I would be happy to pay that fine. <laughs> So, as you say this, from the door you're trying to go through, you do see what appears to be some sort of spectral hand coming through the door towards you. Small hand, similar to your size. It continues as the hand becomes an arm, then becomes a torso, and what appears to be the specter of a small child is standing in front of you. Oh, God. Hi, little man. Do you live here? Could I talk to your parents? (laughs) The specter holds up a single finger to its mouth and says, and then opens 
the door you were trying to go through. And am I getting any kind of a sense of friendliness from Casper? Or it is very it... neutral. Okay. Is it beckoning me forward? Or oh, it is. it is. It is pointing its way towards the door for you. Okay, so in Tommen's mind, what's been chasing him is not is malevolent. So if I'm getting neutral vibes from Casper, I'm gonna do as it suggests and move that direction. I like it. So you walk through the door. The ghost walks with you. As you make it through into the next room, you do see that there are two double clattered doors going up from out of the cellar and onto the street. And they both appear to go to the same place. They appear to lead back out to the street, like you'd have in a cellar in a regular house. I'm going to take a couple steps towards one of the exits and then kind of look over at Casper and see, is he making any gestures or anything like that? He just smiles at you. Is it a creepy, satisfied smile or is it a like friendly ghost smile? I would say it's somewhere in between both. I'm going to mouth the words thank you and I'm going to quickly and stealthily move towards the right exit. Very good. You go to the exit, you open it up, you feel and smell fresh air again from outside. As you do so, you look back and see the ghost smiles at you one last time and disappears into the wall. Tommen has never moved so fast in his life (laughs) and doesn't stop until he's actually in his house behind a barricaded door. (laughs) So you can see how you would bring those tropes into a game. That was cool. And I I will say a sustained unease on my part. And there's an interesting dynamic that happened to me just then, but I know happens to players, which is you're invested in this character. Mm -hmm. Just like you're invested in the protagonist in a movie, you don't want anything bad to happen to them. Right. And in this case, it's, I think, heightened in that I have the agency to make decisions for Tommen, where I'm passively receiving information about what Clarice does. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that was cool. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. The uh, Tommen's face was a super creepy touch. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. Yeah. And the uh, the ghost that maybe is leading me into a trap. That was a nice touch. And then also just making it a child is just like extra creepy. Oh, yeah. You got to have that weird creep factor from those, those child ghosts, you know, <laughs> especially like those Japanese movies like Ringu, right? Another thing that, that was kind of put me on edge was so Tommen in, in this case is a level eight ranger mm-hmm. got some pretty cool spells pretty solid stats seemed wholly irrelevant yes you know what i mean so it's like you give you you give me great tools and and skills and then put me in a situation where it sort of doesn't matter <laughs> yes. Which is very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. And also, like, like, there's the the pace of it, right? So, D&D oftentimes can get into slogs of, okay, well, what do we do? What's this? It's all very chess move oriented a lot of yeah. times. Yeah. There's no time for a chess move yeah. right now. Yeah, and you did something that I admire that DMs do and I strive to do, which is there's times when you, the players just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, you'd ask me a question and I just stare almost like through my character sheet. <laughs> And instead of just waiting 
for me to come up with something. You're like, and then, you know, like the, just because you can't figure out what to do next doesn't mean the story stops. Oh, it's yes. Like still it's going to keep moving. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Super creepy. Thank you. Absolutely. So back to my original question. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I have a little bit more insight, but what am I getting out of this? And maybe this is me asking myself this question, but what am I getting out of this? What am I learning from this? And what's like the, I guess the virtue of this experience. Mm, Very good. Yeah. I think that you're learning vulnerability. Okay. And I think that that doesn't exist in a lot of D and D games. I think there's very much this idea of, Oh, well, I fell in battle. I'll just wait to get back up again. Or all these things happen. You feel like a superhero all the time. Mm. In that scenario, you don't feel like a superhero. You feel like you are going through something where you're being hunted, right? You're not necessarily in command or control. You are actually under control of somebody else. Yeah. I just got the chills. (laughs) The other thing is that I think as Tom and I I get a sense that the world is bigger Mm -hmm. and more powerful than I am. Yes. And so, like you said, I'm not a superhero in this world. There's something incredibly malevolent in that house. And if I were, say, to rejoin the party that next morning, Tomlin would probably be like, guys, we got to (laughs) go. Yes. (laughs) I know we said we were going to do this thing at that house, but I don't want to do that anymore. Right. (laughs) And then also it intrigues me because that spirit that helped me. Mm -hmm. And it would have been one thing if you would have described it as a very sympathetic child. And I thought you were going to have me like roll inside or something, but it, it was, it was just neutral vibes that I got from it. Yeah. And so it, it also uh, intrigues me to try to understand what are the forces at play at that house. And so now it's almost like a mystery to, to potentially unravel. Mm-hmm. And I could see how, you know, I could play that as I'm obsessed with this now. Right. And maybe even if we were leaving the town, I would still be left with this lingering feeling of like, who was that, that specter? Like, what was that? Yeah. I want to know, maybe tomorrow I want to go to a library and I'm going to look up the history of that house Mm -hmm. and find out, did, did a little boy once live there? Right. Because I saw him and, you know, so that was really cool too. But I do appreciate that idea that you took away my ability to just kill everything in the room. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> like there was nothing to kill. <laughs> Except for a weird fleshy version of my face. Ew. Right. I don't I don't think combat is particularly uh, scary or horror filled. You can make it, right? You can have those moments, but I think that when you're trying to problem solve a situation is when it becomes scary. When you're trying to escape something you don't understand, it becomes scary. And then from a value standpoint, the other thing you get out of this is that you're building content and enrichment around something that might not have had to begin with, right? Yeah. Like, for example, you might have had this, you know, quest, as I said at the beginning, to steal some little artifact from a house. And that could have been just the easiest thing ever. It could have been you just go in, you see this thing, some boring lord. He just has this thing he bought at a lord garage sale. Who knows? Yeah. And he has this and it moves on. But now you have this weird thing that you want to build into a bigger story. And then right. it might connect to another town. And another guy who's doing something. Maybe there's a cult. Maybe there's a whole ring of people that are doing something weird that you don't understand. Yeah. And I'm imagining in the next scene when I rejoin my party, they're like, did you get the item? And I'm like, dude, (laughs) I I hadn't even thought about this item. (laughs) But what I do want to talk about is the series of murder rooms in the basement. Right. (laughs) And the 
possibly friendly ghosts down there. <laughs> that was so cool. Thank you for doing that. Of course. So I guess that's a good stopping point for us. Yeah, I think so. It's, uh, it was a good time talking about horror. And I, you know, I think that a lot of your games can be spiced up. And it doesn't even have to be at Halloween time. It's just that time of year. It's time to talk about it besides pumpkin spice lattes, right? Let's talk about something creepy. Um, but make your games a little more risky, a little more dangerous. Don't just make them about, let's go from point A to point B. Are we the right level? Am I using the right stat? No. Put your players through it. Yeah. And what you just put me through is like the opposite of a dungeon crawl. Yes. You know, because it's not about the rooms. Like right. the thing that stood out to me and all that was not what room was connected to what room, but it was like the deepening psychological peril that I was in. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening this week. Please check us out on our Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. And don't forget, we sell stuff on Etsy too. Thanks everyone.